1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah's song, Hannah's prayer. Um, I want to bring out um, some of the prophetic edge in it, what I see within it this morning. And indeed, the gospel element of it, and it's, it's filled with the gospel, um, but we're going to be looking at it this morning. And we're going to be reminded of a few things um, that we, as those who proclaim the gospel and sing the gospel, that if we miss out some of these lyrics, for talk's sake, we, we miss the gospel and we proclaim a different gospel. So Hannah's words, verse 1, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord, and my mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. Verse 2, there is, none like, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you, and there is no rock like our God. Verse 3, Take no more, talk no more so very proudly, and let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are wed. And we're going to end there because we're going to be referring to a few of the Scriptures as we make our way through them this morning. But mark verse 3 in your Bible this morning. It's been one that has really jumped out at me, and it's one that I'm going to use to close off um, Hannah's song. We could, we could seriously go on for several more weeks just looking at this, but we have so many things coming our way. Harvest is next week. We have various things coming. Christmas is around the corner. So we, I want to just sort of keep going through this. And God willing, not next week, the week after, we'll begin to look at Eli's sons, um, and we, we will take off from there again. So verse 3, Do not boast so proudly, or let arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by Him actions are wed. Now last week, just to bring us up to speed, we looked at Hannah. Uh, she was proclaiming the gospel, referred to her as a gospel singer. Her, her song could be heard throughout all of Israel. My, my heart rejoices in the Lord. And I pray that's your experience today in your faith, that your, your heart is rejoicing in the Lord and that the Lord is with you. And it speaks of many things, this, this joy that comes from the Lord. But it mainly speaks of new life. This joy can't be found or received outside of Christ. My strength is exalted in the Lord. She found a new strength from the Lord. Her battles were won for her. And, and, and the best translation was, my mouth smiles at my enemies. We looked at that. It speaks of new victory over the enemy. Now, God delivered her from her affliction, and God saved her, and He lifted her up from that place of barrenness. And, and as, a, as a reminder to us as a church that wherever we find ourselves today and whatever season, that God will not leave us there. Amen. If we find ourselves in a place of brokenness, it's temporary, and it's for a greater good, it's for a greater purpose in your life. We are reminded that God is still in the business of saving souls, and that's a big theme that we're going to be looking at today. We are reminded that our own personal salvation is something to be treasured. Don't forget how God delivered you personally. That will cause the joy to well up within you. We are reminded that in Christ there's a promise for every man and woman to be a new creation. If you submit your life to the Lord and repent of your sin. He says that He will take your life and make it completely new. That's the gospel message. There's no works involved. We can't maintain holiness. We, we can't live in, in works and, and try and please God. It's impossible for us. We're reminded that He is one who saves and delivers us from sin. He gives us a new song, a new future. That's the power of the gospel. But in verse 2 on, Hannah moves from proclaiming the glorious gospel 
to the dangers of neglecting this wonderful salvation. And that's what I want to pull out this morning. In her song, there's many warnings and there's many promises. And one of these, for example, is she, she begins to warn Israel of her sinful state before God. Remember Israel's apostate? We, we've read it this last few weeks. And her song, it's, it's God's desire to reach the people, to remind them of their state, because we can quite quickly forget where we stand in life. And indeed, the world is reminded about the common judgment of sin against sin. So, there's a promise right throughout it as well that all who look to the Lord will be saved and helped. Everybody who humble themselves like Hannah did in prayer, the Lord will help. He will help. And you might say, well, the Lord hasn't, hasn't helped me. Nothing's changed in my situation. The Bible teaches us quite plainly, listen, come to the Lord in prayer. Close the door, get down on our knees and do business with God. That's a theme right from Genesis right through. There's this, we need to connect with God and stop trying to fix it ourselves. And the people of Israel have forgotten who God is. And you know what they've done? They've managed to create a God in their own image. And we can do that sometimes. And if we have done that, the God that we've created will be weak. He will be powerless. We will not be really believing that He can do anything for us or, or change our lives. That's the God that we can create in our own minds, and we need to be careful of that. But Hannah reminds Israel about the true God, about the true nature of God and His characteristics and who He really is. And here's your first point, the holiness of God. And that's what Hannah pulls out right at the outset. And if we don't have an understanding of God's holiness, of who He is, church, we will never really create an image of God in our own minds of who He really is. We need to understand that, as the Bible teaches, God is a holy God. We can't even understand that. In fact, there's times we struggle to, to understand what sin is in our lives, and it's riddled with it, isn't it? We, 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 we can't comprehend sin. How could we ever compre comprehend what holiness is? But Hannah, in verse 2, she reminds the people of God who is in a broken place that, that God is holy. And this sets the scene for the full gospel to be presented to the nation yet again. And, and Hannah has sung of God's goodness to her life and in her life, and God's been good to her. And she's mentioned and spoke of his deliverance, his favor, his salvation. Now she sings of his holiness. Notice what she says. There is none holy like the Lord. Think of that. In Hannah's day, a wee bit like our own, there was many people had become self-righteous in their own eyes. Think of that. They believed themselves to be good and right before God. I wonder if you heard that today. People saying on media, on different things, that I'm all right the way I am. And we're living in a time where, where people believe themselves to be holy, at least acceptable. I don't need to be saved, and I'm ready to meet God. And, and here's, here's the element that, and I suppose there was part of Israel believed they were God's people, and perhaps maybe in the depths of their mind they believed they were okay, even though they were worshiping all, all types of idols, and they'd, they'd fallen into great apostasy. But in highlighting God's holiness, Hannah is reminding all of his, Israel that, in fact, they're wrong in their thinking, that there's only one who is holy, and it's not any man or, or any nation. And that's an important part of the gospel message. And that brings us to our, our, our second point, so the holiness of God. And then if we're going to sing the gospel, we, we need to make sure we, we get this right. So we, we need to lift up the holiness of God. 
then we need to talk about the sinfulness of man. You see, it's easy to preach the love of God, and there's many who do it really well, really well. But if we pass by the, the, the problem of sin in our lives, we, what we'll do is we'll, we, we'll be preaching the gospel that in, in, in fact isn't the gospel. We'll end up leading a whole generation to hell, uh, uh, and that's what will happen. A sinless gospel is a false gospel. And it creates disciples that say, I'm all right. In fact, I don't need a Savior because I'm all right. God has made me like this, and it's just as I am, I'm fine. We need to be careful of this thinking. You did not, and God did not create you to be wrestling with sin and to be stuck with sin and struggling with sin. The Bible makes it very clear. When God made man, He made man in what? In God's image. And man, believe it or not, in the garden, knew what it was to be sinless, knew what it was to taste perfection before the fall. And when sin entered the world through Adam, it marred all of mankind. The image of God that man carried became distorted by sin, and God wants to restore that. When we get saved, what happens to us? We become a new person. We begin to live well and live better. We begin to glorify God in our talking, in our walking, in our business affairs. You see, God wants to restore the image that, that, that Satan has distorted. And I remember seeing a, a young man, and he took it upon himself that he was in the wrong body, and he, and he, and he dressed as a female, and a young man. And, and one thing as I observed this and, and tried to comprehend it, in my mind, I looked at the man and I thought to myself, what a mockery to God. And the guy doesn't even realize that, that the enemy has allowed this man to act like this and, and, and all the way given the, the middle finger, if you like, to God. God loves that man. He created that man in his image and sin has distorted that image. And when you see a man lying, bound by addictions, drunk in the town or in the street, that's not a reflection of the glory of God, you see. It's the opposite. And when God gets a hold of that man, he sets him free from his addictions. And what happens? That man rises up and he's a new life, a new future, and a new, a new song to sing. And, and then God is glorified in that man's life. So don't accept anybody in this room that God has created you to be a sinful person. That's lies. You're created in the image of God to glorify God, to, to be loved by God, and for God to put favor upon your life. God did not create man to live in sin. We live in sin because of the fall. Now, listen to this, Isaiah 64 and 6. Listen to the words of it after what I've just said. All of us have become, all of us has become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And that's what we see has happened in our world. All men, according to the gospel, are sinners. Now, many find this very hard to understand and comprehend. I was one of them, actually, at a time. And few accept this truth easily. But that's the way of the transgressor. In the many warnings of the, of the gospel, one of them is this, that we all have sinned against the holy God. Not against your neighbor, which I'm sure many of us have, but the ultimate call of the Bible is that men have sinned against God and God alone. And that we all need saved from what? From the wrath of God coming against all sin. That's the gospel. 
You can't have the good news without first understanding the bad news. And there's a promise that comes right through Scripture, and a scene primarily where Christ took it upon Himself the sins of the world on that cross on Calvary's hill, that you could be saved, that I could be saved, and every generation before us and after us could be saved. There was a way, first of all, there was no way that man could be saved, but then God made a way. Now, listen to the words in John 3, because we know it so, so well sometimes, we, we just skim over it, but listen to what it says. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Do you ever believe that God wants to condemn you? I hid from God for years because I thought all He wanted to do was highlight my failures and judge me accordingly to the sinfulness that I knew was within me. But the Bible says God did not send His Son to do that, but to save it. Then it says, for whoever believes in Christ is not condemned, simple, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, already, already. God didn't come in to highlight our, our, our sin and condemn us. He came into the world because we're already condemned, you see, because of sin. And that's what it means to be saved. Outside of Christ, according to the gospel song, all men are condemned by default because of the fall in Genesis. And so when we read that Christ came to save sinners, it means He came into this condemned world to, to save men from that condemnation. That's the gospel according to the gospel. God is a holy God and a just God, and therefore all sin must be punished. And Christ took our punishment to leave God just, that all we need to do is believe and trust. And I know this is elementary for, for many of you, but this is the gospel song. And in today's generation, it's too good, and the message is too nice, and the service is too, well, it's too nice, isn't it? Because we're all accepted, and we're all affirmed. But actually, I had to be broken and plowed up before I truly see my, seen my need, and I know many of you did. You had to hear this stuff to be plowed, and your heart had to be ripped apart, and your, your own God that you created in your image had to be put to death. And Hannah trusted God she gave her life fully to him. What did he do to her? He delivered her, and he blessed her, and he lifted her up. And she had a new song. He says, I rejoice in his salvation. And what she's doing here, she says, Hannah is warning all people who have strayed from God of the consequences of their rebellion. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. There's the promise. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. There's the warning. So we've looked at the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and then I want to just slip into God's judgment just for a moment again. Look at verse 3. Talk no more so very proudly. Now, now, look at it in your Bible. Talk no more so very proudly. You were that person at a time. I was that person at a time. Proud, arrogant. We knew better. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him all actions are weighed. And here we see God's judgment against sin. And there's two words that are used here I want to pull out for us this morning in Hannah's song, which warns of God's judgment and man's error. And the two words are pride and arrogance. Be careful of these things in our life. And when I've experienced pride in my life, I've been unable to see it. I've been unable to see it. And I believe myself to have been right. And that's where arrogance comes in. And, and this is a danger 
that, that, that she brings out to Israel. These two, wor- these two words keep men and women from going on with God in the faith and keep millions from coming to faith in the first place. That, that's the danger of pride and arrogance in our, in our lives. And James 4.10 speaks very clearly. He says, humble yourselves before God and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves before God. I don't know about you, when, when I came to the Lord, I wasn't standing proud. I was a wee broken man with my back against the wall. Uh, drink stains all over me, a disgrace to my mother, a disgrace to myself, a, a, a disgrace to God who carried that. He was an image bearer. Um, but I had to be humbled. And it wasn't until I was humbled that I experienced that a new strength and a new power, a new birth within me. And, and the Bible speaks to this world that's filled with pride and, and blinded by sin. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and the Lord will come into your life, and He will lift you up and change your life. And we saw Hannah do that just a few weeks ago. She, she entered the temple, and I want, to, I want you to, to see this again, where, where Eli stood, who was a, an apostate priest. The, the, the system was fallen, if you like. The pulpit had become impure. The gospel was no longer preached. Just to help you understand the, the context in which Hannah come to the temple where Eli stood. But despite his presence, she humbled herself before God. She, she didn't say or walk away because somebody was looking on. You know, there, there's something about humbling ourselves in the sight of God that it might also have to be in the sight of others. Perhaps for some of you that the reason that you haven't gone on with God or you haven't given your life fully to God is because there's people in your life that you're afraid to say that you're a Christian or, or, or to humble yourself enough to say that I'm a follower of Christ. But despite the presence of this man, she humbled herself before God. And Hannah didn't care who was looking. She didn't care what people said about her and her faith. We have to get there again. And if you're not saved, you have to get there. And it's hard. It's challenging. I, I remember the battle quite well. It took years before I was able to step over that line and humble myself and cry out. So I don't, I don't say the battle's, battle's easy, but the very fact that there is a battle for your soul should be a warning to you. But if you're not saved, there's, there's, there's this battle going on. You use that battle as proof that there is a God and He is trying to get your attention. And, but Hannah didn't care at this point. She'd come to a point in her life where she didn't care anymore. She was just going to live for God, and that's when things really happened for her in her life. See, pride flies in the face of God, but to be saved and to go on with God, we must continually humble ourselves before God, whether we're saved or unsaved. Even for the, for the Christian, there's a call to confess our sins to one another and before God and, and receive them times of refreshing. But to be saved, we must acknowledge our sin and to trust in Jesus alone. Now, I want to bring out a wee bit about pride um, and arrogance. You don't need to turn to it. I'll tell you the story. It's found in Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 5. And there we read about a king called Belshazzar. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story, but Belshazzar was a man who was filled with all arrogance and pride. This man was, was, was lifted up before man, and, and he had great power. And because of that, there was a great arrogance and pride come upon his life. And he thought that he himself was equal with God in many ways. But, but King Belshazzar's father was King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. And we know that in, in 589 BC, he besieged Jerusalem. We, we know the story. He, he destroyed uh, Jerusalem. 
the, the first temple was destroyed. And we know that Judah was exiled into Babylon. We, we preach on it regular. But when they destroyed, destroyed the temple, they also um, stole the different relics and different things from it. We know that they took the gold and silver goblets, you know, the nice big cups that you drink wine out of, and other items that were set apart as instruments in the house of God. But now in chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, many years have gone past. Uh, King Nazarbekneser has died. His son Belshazzar is now on the throne over Babylon. In chapter 5, he is recorded as having a great party within his, within his ranks. A thousand nobles were gathered with him. They were all drinking wine and, and partying and celebrating, as men do. But what we see in the story is the more they drank this wine, the more arrogant the king becomes. And then he gives some orders that gold and silver goblets that his father had taken from the temple be brought um, in. And what happened was that the king and his nobles and their wives and all the concubines, all the sin around him, they began to drink before God, this wine, and, and mock God. And as they drank, they began to praise their idols. They praised the God of gold and silver, the God of bronze and iron, and the, broad, the, the God of wood and stone. See, that's the way of the transgressor. Wood and stone can be likened to accumulating properties. Bronze and iron can be industry, industrial, and gold and silver can just be the whole cons consumption of wealth, the lust of the eye. And, and this, would be, this is where Israel was living, or Babylon was living, sorry. They were ungodly to the core. And this act was in total defiance to Almighty God. But I love this story because as they did this, and as they lived in their pride, and as they mocked and taunted and got on with their lives and just thought there's no accountability, we're told in the story that suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote in the plaster of the wall near the lampstand, the lampstand in the royal palace. Now, the lampstand is very symbolic. In the tabernacle, you understand it was a lampstand that had to be lit and never let to go out. This lampstand, it was symbolic. It pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the light of the world. Yeah? It never go out, the light of the world. And beside this lampstand, if you like, this hand appears, and as if Christ himself appears, and he begins to write on the wall. And I believe this is a pre-incarnate Christ, by the way, when you look at it in that context, doing the writing. You even think of Jesus, how he was drawn, he drew the line in the sand when they brought the prostitute before. He was drawing the line in the sand to say, you're quick to highlight this woman's sin, what about your own? And he was, start, he was, he was drawing a line in the sand, and Belshazzar's sin was about to be brought before him, before, before his attention. And at this point, this, this strong and prideful king turns into a wee boy. And that's what's going to happen at the end of age. All these blatant boasts and, and mockeries of God. And we, if we be the one that's doing them, we, we'll become quiet very quickly when that heaven opens. And what we read here is that the king turns pale with fear. We are told that Belshazzar was so frightened that his legs began, became weak and his knees were knocking. What a difference of a man in a moment. Belshazzar here has had an encounter with God and his sins being brought before him. And he pleads for help, not from God, but from somebody to interpret the writing on the wall, you see. That's the blindness of sin. Rather than dealing with the sin in his life, it's, it's just to try and fix it. And he, he seeks for, 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 for help in this area. 
And he offers great power and gifts to anybody who can interpret this for him. After a while, Daniel's name is brought before him. And we know that Daniel interpreted many times for his father, King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king offers Daniel great reward for help. And I love Daniel's answer. Listen to this. Because Daniel says to the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. There's a, there's a heart that isn't caught up in, in this world. There's a heart, heart that isn't worried about the sin and what's going on around him. He's living for God. You see? Don't, don't allow your possessions to become such a restriction for you that when God calls you to do something that you're unable to do it. Keep your gifts, he says, and your rewards. But nevertheless, he says, I will read the writing on the wall for the king. And there's something in that because he's doing the work of God. He's going to tell him what the Lord is saying. He's, he's a prophet in his own right, but he's, he's going to preach and teach and, and tell this man exactly what God is going to do. And he's not going to take godly bribes or promises or, or power or wealth for doing it. And there's the lesson that godly don't make deals with the ungodly. We don't make treaties. They don't use the gospel for personal gain, such as luxurious excess living. We make, often make jokes about a private jet, but sadly it's not a joke for many ministries. Daniel speaks, or Daniel, Daniel speaks to Belshazzar, and he says, Your Majesty, the highest God give your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language they feared him. See, God was with him at this point, and those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. And those he wanted to spur, he spurred, but those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. Now listen to this. But when his heart became arrogant and prideful, when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, and there we see these two words again being brought to our attention. He was disposed from the royal throne and stripped from his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal, a debased mind that the Lord talks about in the last days. He's going to give the, the nations over to a reptilian mind. It means that, in its essence, they're, they're going to be unable to reason in their minds and their thinking. Think of that today. People aren't, aren't able to discern what's right and wrong. They, they, they're presented with something that is completely and utterly ridiculous, and they, they agree with it. Now, let's not be suckered in and think it's get into the culture of it and, and think it's normal. It's not normal. When something's not right, it's not right. And, but, but here we see there's this reprobate mind that has been given to Nazar and says he was driven away from the people. He was given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and he ate grass like an ox and his body was drenched, drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign. Until he acknowledged God over all nations and kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he, wish, he wishes. That means anybody that's in power, God's put them there. Make no mistake about it. Even if we don't understand it, it's not by chance. But then he says these words, but you, Belshazzar, his son, you have not humbled yourselves, though you knew all of this. And here's the point. How many people have heard the gospel and yet aren't saved? How many Christians know what it is to be to living for God, but they're not? How many people have, have taken for granted and, and crucified Christ again in their lives? 
and here's the warning, you see. But, but we, we love the good, the glorious bits of the gospel, but here's the warning to a sinful nation. How many people in their pride take lightly the grace of God that's been given to them? Belshazzar was one of these people. He disregarded the things of God. He knew how his father humbled himself and was humbled by God. See, God humbled Nebuchadnezzar and brought him low. But his father looked towards God and, and repented of his sin. And Belshazzar knew this to be true. He knew that God had restored his father and his kingdom because that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to restore our lives and he wants to build up our kingdoms, not tear them down as sin does. But yet Belshazzar, his son, was filled with so much pride and arrogance, you see, that he just couldn't see his ways. He, he, he didn't just live in sin, but he, he took the very things of God that were set apart, these goblets, the, these um, cups, if you like, to, to be used in the tabernacle, and he, and he drank from these as, he, as they partied and, and worshipped other gods. Here we see arrogance and pride flown in the face of God. And I want to say this to you. How many people live like that in today, in our, our nation today? Filled with pride, they, they celebrate sin, and, and there's no shame in, in sin today. We all wrestle with sin at times. But we don't stand here and fly it in each other's face and, and justify it. We, we recognize that we're, we're broken and that we're in a sinful body, and we're, we've got a new body coming. Thank God we have a new nature, but this is still a sin body. We're going to be given a new body. But, but we don't fly it in the faces of, of the world. But we're living in a generation now that do. In their arrogance, they, we see people fly their sin in the face of God. And Belshazzar acted like this. And what we find here for him, the time had come. God was going to put this to an end. And all this evil that you see going on is going to be come to an end. Don't think this is it. But judgment was at the door for Belshazzar. The writing was on the wall. His day of grace was over. And Daniel interprets the writing, and this is what he says. Belshazzar, God has numbered the days of your reign, and he's brought it to an end. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. How many people are going to die and have died in their sin, believing themselves to be holy and right before God? are going to be stood there on that day. They're going to be wed on the scales, if you like, and they're going to be found wanting. There's a warning and truth of the gospel. The danger of pride and an arrogance in a heart is this. It makes people like Belshazzar believe that they themselves are demigods. Be careful of that in our lives. We're not. We're, I heard one man preach that we're children of God, therefore we're demigods. Do we look like gods? demigods? Do we act like demigods? We're not demigods. We're weak. We are, we are so weak that we are incapable of keeping anything that we have committed unto God, and that's why He keeps it for us. But Cesar believed himself to be a type of demigod. You know what happens when people live like this? In their ignorance, they believe themselves to be accountable to no one. They write their own laws. We see that in our land and nations around us. And then they keep changing these laws to suit their own desires. And they forget, or they're unaware at least, that God's judgment is coming. So verse 10 again, look at verse 10 in your, in, your, in your Bible with me. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. Now, Israel at this point have no king. Here's what we see as a whole different sermon. I haven't got that time. 
but there's no king in Israel as yet. And here's the prophetic edge. And he gives strength to his king. Soon King Saul would come, then David. But this is speaking of the Messiah. And exalt the horn of his anointed, which is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the age, we know the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, will return. Timothy 4 says, Christ will judge the living and the dead when he appears. Now, I want to remind us very quickly, I'm not going to pull anything from it, that Scripture records this day of judgment. And the good news is, don't forget now, don't get lost in this, the good news is that Christ died for you and I, that we can live. But here's the, the, the warning of the gospel. Revelation 20 records this judgment in part. Let me just read it to you. John saw in a vision that a great white throne and one seated on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them to hide. People were trying to hide in this day, but be unable to. He says, I saw the great, the, 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 sorry, the dead, the, the great and small, the, the rich and poor, standing before this throne. It says, and there were, the books were opened, and one of them was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their deeds, as recorded within these books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and Hades gave up their dead. And each man and woman was judged according to their deeds. It says, then death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. The death will be no more. Eternal life will be coming into play. And this is the second death, you see. We die, either we die in Christ or we die out of Christ. If we die outside of Christ, there's the second death. And the Bible says, this is the second death, the lake of fire. And here's what it says. Anyone whose name is not written in the book of life was cast into um, the lake of fire. Now, that's just what the Bible speaks on. It's a whole different uh, topic, but, or sermon, sorry. But this speaks of a people who, because of their pride, rejected God's salvation, only to be stood before him like Belshazzar and found wanting. Now, we're told in that story of Daniel that that very night when the writing was on the wall, Belshazzar died and his soul was lost. I want to just say this as we close this morning, that everybody you see in this room and you know to be saved once walked and lived in sin and rejected God in many ways. We did not come out of the womb singing the gospel song at all. I don't want you, don't let the enemy deceive you. We are in no different standing than yourself in many ways. The difference is we've acknowledged that we've sinned against God, that there is a God first and foremost, and that we've, we've sinned against Him. And when we repented of our sin, we've experienced a new life. I can't speak for many here, but I know there's many saved 30, 40, 50 plus years. I'm saved 20 years, and God's kept me well. So God will keep you. But if you're not saved and you haven't trusted in Christ, and God's perhaps spoke to you today, I want to encourage you, why don't you simply put your trust in Him today? You've heard in part that the gospel today, in fact. And I know it's not a gospel meeting, but it's the gospel. It's the Word of God. It's not just for a Sunday night or a mission tent. It's, it's the Word of God. And, and the Word of God makes it very clear that we're loved by God, that, that, that He came to save us, to restore that distorted image. Maybe your life, maybe you're bound by addiction this morning, and you know too well that the man that you are, the woman that you are, isn't the person that God created you to be. You see, that's sin. But God says, if you trust Him, He'll restore your life. He will make you a new man, a new woman, and you will begin to glorify Him again. You will not be the shame and the mockery and the, of the town. You see? But if you're not saved, you can put your trust in Him. I want to just close with this one wee thought. Matthew 25 says this, All these who, who aren't saved will go into eternal punishment, 
but the righteous into eternal life. And this is the, the last point, God's salvation. It really is two minutes. But the righteous into eternal life. Look at verse 9 in your, in your text. It's a wonderful bit of scripture. For he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. After everything that Hannah said, we pulled out from it. He will guard the feet of his faithful. But the wicked will be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Not by might. Not by work shall a man or woman be saved. But by Christ and the finished work of Calvary. And all who call upon his name will be saved. It's as simple as that. He will guard the feet of his faithful one. And if you have no insurance today, assurance in your life that you are right with God, and you're unsure how to be saved, let me just help you with that in these closing moments. In the, in the book of Acts, there's an interesting question. I'm going to spur the story because of a tendency to go into it. But the question was asked, what must I do to be saved? Now, that's an important question if you don't know. And the answer was given to this man. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. That's it. Didn't ask for your bank details. Didn't ask for you to do X amount of works. Believe and be saved. It's a wonderful truth. I believed in a God in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ when I knew very, very little about him. All I knew was I was in dire need of salvation. It's that simple. His word says so. Psalm 18 says this, this God, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Amen.